The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. I want to jump in. We're in a new series called Behind the Music, but um, before we get to that, um, there were a lot of individuals who have asked about Andrew and Amanda. Some of you may be caught on social media what's going on. There are campus pastors at Snohomish. They've been a part of this campus for a long time as well and uh, pregnant. Uh, there was some question about the health of the baby and uh, wanted to give you the update. The baby was born last Saturday and uh, there, there are complications. They're asking really for prayer as they navigate kind of what's going on. The baby's at Seattle Children's and they're navigating between here and there regularly and um, just asking for prayer. In fact, one of the things that they had posted um, on social media a couple days ago is just that there is a surgery coming up on the baby's heart, and um, it's a pretty invasive, pretty big deal, and just asking for some miracles as we kind of continue the journey with them. So if, uh, that's kind of the latest. Um, you can keep up on social media if you're friends with them, and we'll try to keep you in the loop as far as what's happening. But it's a pretty tough deal um, for them, and uh, of course, they already have two young young girls. Um, and so I also would l- want to let you know that um, our Snohomish campus um, is going to be fine. Aaron's over there today. We got a great rotation of leaders and team members, and we've told Andrew, man, don't worry about anything as far as uh, the whole job and responsibilities is concerned. You take care of your family. You take care of your baby. We're going to take care of that campus. And uh, what I would ask, and, and I've already done, um, but I would ask you just to continue to pray. Just pray for wisdom as they navigate every single day. Um, this, just like anything in life, is a roller coaster. There are days where it seems like things are okay. There are days where it seems like it's absolutely absolutely overwhelming. And, um, and we just want to be for the, be there for them as much as we can, um, because the truth is we are a church family and we care deeply about them. So I appreciate so many who have asked what's going on. Um, if you asked me last week, um, the answer I gave you was just continue to pray right now because I wanted them to have the liberty of, of letting people know what, what needed to be said in their time. It's not my deal from a stage or anything. So, um, I'm just trying to keep it up as far as how they're communicating it and letting you know what's up. So, So I would love to pray for them together, um, and then we'll continue on today with the service. God, we love Andrew and Amanda and their family, God, and and we're so grateful. Many of us that have been part of the Grove for a long time know, God, how um, integral he has been as as far as part of our team here at Marysville, but we also love how he's just got that pioneer spirit to go, hey, man, this campus thing, I would love to do it. I would love to go over to Snohomish, and and I love that attitude, and I pray that even as he has blessed us with that attitude, that you would bless him and Amanda abundantly, God, surround them, encourage them, help us in prayer to lift them up that while I can't stand here and explain how prayer works, you simply ask us to pray and I simply know that prayer works. And so we ask for, Lord, you to carry them and encourage them, surround Liddy and June as they kind of navigate this time, but we also pray for baby Ellis. God, we ask for continued health. We pray for greater strength day by day. We pray for favor with every doctor and nurse and every person involved in his care every single day that they're walking in your wisdom, that they're doing the right things that need to be done. And we still pray for continued breakthroughs in different areas of his health, that there are certain things that are better than we we thought could be and we wondered. And yet there are other things that are definitely reason for, for deep concern. And we pray you would carry that little baby Maybe through all that's happening, God, we look forward to greater health and greater strength, and we pray that your love would abound in that whole family, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Again, just encourage you to continue to pray for them, and I'll do my best to keep you updated as we kind of take this day by day, week by week. Today, um, we begin our series called Behind the Music. And what it is, is it's a series 
about music and worship. Because here's the thing, if you're not aware of this word worship, worship is, is more a lifestyle. Worship is what you and I do every day in relation to who Christ is and what he's doing in us. And so whether it's our ability to stop and read scripture, pray, our ability to, to love our neighbors, our ability to, to sing a song of worship as we call it, or whatever, Romans 12 verse two talks about you and I living a life of worship. So in general, worship, is a lifestyle. At the same time, when we talk about worship in this context in a series called Behind the Music, we're talking about some of the songs of Christian worship. We're talking about some of the lyrics and the individuals behind some of the songs and the theology within it to help us understand what is this all about. And the reason that I felt like this is an important series for us to do at the Grove Church is because on a Sunday when you and I gather, it, one of my great concerns is that this does not become about some sort of show that you sort of sit down and wait for the clock to tick down and the show begins and we all stand and we just watch what's happening up here and then we go on with the service and that's not what it's meant to be. In fact, to take it a step further, one of the great concerns I have is that not only does it, does it not become about worship in the sense of you singing the lyrics and processing what you're singing with within your own heart between you and God, but what it becomes about for many people is this. They're not singing the song I like. I don't care for that lyric. This song repeats too much. Why does the volume have to be like that? How come that instrument's on the stage? I like it better when that person sings, and we miss out entirely on what God wants to do in the corporate musical experience that we call worship that's meant to help soften your heart towards what God is wanting to do in your life. In fact, I believe in some of these moments that even as my wife led earlier, God wants to deliver some of us of certain things, but instead of coming with the spirit of God, how do you want to continue to transform us as a church and me individually? Instead, we come with all these presupposed ideas of what we think worship would be, and when our expectations aren't met, we miss out on what God wants to do. Because music in worship in a setting like this is meant to be unifying, is meant to be uplifting, and is meant to be transformative. In fact, if you're taking notes, you really should write that down. When we gather corporately in a setting like this, music is meant to be unifying, edifying, and transformative. And that's something you need to remember even as you park your car, as you check your kids in, as you grab a cookie and coffee or go get some espresso or talk with some people in the lobby, and finally walk into this room, are you ready to actually experience God in worship or are you just coming for the show and you check the spiritual box and you go home and you did your thing for the day? And that's the challenge. So as we jump in, I'm excited about this whole series because we're going to talk about the theology of worship. We're going to talk about some of the songs in worship, not just some of the songs that we sing all the time, but we're going to go back, even as you noticed a little bit ago, we sang a song called Come Thou Fount, and some of you were deeply confused by the lyrics because it's a little more Shakespearean because that song comes from the 1700s. And you sing something like, here I raise my Ebenezer. And some of you are wondering why we're singing about Scrooge in a worship song. And that's not what's happening at all. So we'll jump in here. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 16. If you got a Bible, you can turn there. 1 Samuel 16. Um, I want to go ahead and ask you, um, what is your favorite genre of music? How many would say your favorite genre of music is country? Just raise your hands. Okay, so got a few of those. Some of you are really proud of it. In fact, here's a great joke for you that we've all heard. What happens when you play country music backwards? 
Okay, yeah, you get your wife back, your truck back, your gun back, your car back, your home back. Anyway, so um, how many guys would say your favorite genre of music is R&B or, or pop music? Just modern, okay, pop, okay, all right, good. How many would say your favorite is rock? Raise your hands, you like rock music, okay? Anybody out there, heavy metal? Raise your hands on heavy metal, okay? A couple of those, okay, I'm like, okay. Just, um, how many would say um, rap music? Anybody out there, okay? Yeah, me, you, and a couple other people. All right, there we go. Um, Anybody out there, uh, classical music, you love Classic King 98.1, okay, some of that, a few of those. Um, how many would say your favorite uh, wor- uh, music is worship music? So, right, yeah, and some of you guys like, that's not fair, come on, shouldn't that be all of our favorites? I mean, so, um, worship music. Uh, my, my wife and I watch a show with our kids, we have a 17, 14, 12, and 9-year-old, um, so we have four kids, and we watch some family shows that we enjoy together, and one of those is called Brain Games. Anybody ever seen the show, The Brain Games? Yeah, a couple of us nerds out there. Okay, um, anyway, we love the show, it's great. Um, and, and so we were watching it the other day, and it was actually about music. And they were talking about the power of music. Now, some of this information is not going to be new to you, but the power of music is substantial. And one of the things that they did was they set up a booth on a street corner as people are kind of navigating by and there's people all over. And they would have people stop and they would taste chocolate. But the key was they would put on headphones and play a certain kind of music as they were tasting the chocolate. And then they would take the headphones off and describe what they were tasting. And lo and behold, it was amazing to see that, that um, they were talking about like after they would listen to like a, a low kind of heavy beat, slower music, um, they would describe the chocolate as um, more bitter, like on a scale of one to 10, how bitter is it? They're like seven, you know, seven point eight or whatever. And, and then they would actually play a different kind of music and try another kind of chocolate. And then they would take the headphones off and describe the chocolate only to realize it was the exact same kind of chocolate, but when they played the second type of music, which was a little more melodic and a little higher tones, they would describe the music as less bitter, more sweet, and it was the exact same kind of chocolate. They were talking about the power of music on the brain. And they went on in that episode and they had all these conversations about um, beats per minute. I think we're all familiar with you know beats per minute, how fast a song is, how slow a song is, and how beats per minute can, can soothe you and calm you down and lower your blood pressure and how beats per minute can raise your blood pressure. And that's why a lot of times if you're trying to put a kid to bed, you're playing slower, more soothing music and it calms them down, it gets them to sleep. Or if you're like, you know, getting ready to play a football game against a big rival and you want to, you know, whatever, you play some pumped up music and everybody's dancing in a circle or whatever in the huddle and they all head out to the game because that's the power of music. One of my favorite things though, and I just got to share this is somebody a while ago was kind of a genius and anybody ever heard of the song Party Rock Anthem? Okay. Before you leave here, don't run away yet. Just sit, sit, sit tight. Um, Party Rock Anthem um, came out a long time ago. There was a music video that I want to play just a little bit for you. So this is the song Party Rock Anthem. Bear with me. Don't run out of here. Okay. Okay. Watch this. Okay, anyway, so, okay, we'll stop that. Now, that was bonus footage right there, okay? So, but somebody in their genius, anybody ever heard of the song Trading My Sorrows? Anybody remember that song? I'm trading my sorrows. Yeah, okay. If you remember that song, somebody realized Party Rock Anthem and and Trading My Sorrows is the exact same beats per minute, and so this is what they put together. I love this. So, anyway.
Okay, you can count it, you can kill it, you can kill it. All right, so now again, some of you wanna leave here right now, just bear with me, okay? I get it, totally get it, but um, I thought that was genius. Like, come on, that's amazing to me. But my point is this, I just thought that was entertaining. Let's keep going. Um, when you look at scripture, the scriptures are clear as we read them that the power of music really is substantial in the life of people. In fact, when you go back, and we're going to do this in this series, when you go back and look at what the Bible teaches about music, it plays a significant role in the life of the nation of Israel. We've got a whole book in the scriptures that is a book of songs that we call Psalms. You have individuals that were put inside of, of the temple with the Levites that were the musicians that were assigned to be there, and music played a significant role in the life of Israel when they were celebrating God's goodness, when they were celebrating victories within the lands that they were a part of. I mean, over and over, music plays a significant role in the life of, of those in Scripture. In fact, many prophets, individuals, Moses, David, Mary, Solomon, a bunch of people in scripture were songwriters. And so we're going to talk about some of that in this series, but I want to look at 1 Samuel 16 for a moment, and I want to read to verses 14 through 23. It says this, now the spirit of the Lord, 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord come, uh, command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. And I was reading that going, man, this is like looking in the mirror, those verses. Um, but it's just, I know. You're like, this guy's full of himself. There are great churches all over around here. If you find one, you're better off. Anyway, so um, that was a horrible joke. Okay. Um, then, <laughs> then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them with his son, David, to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then, sent, then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit of God, look at verse 33, whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Jesus, help us understand, yes, this story a bit better, but God, help us each understand the power of music and worship, God, yes, as a lifestyle, but Father, let us look at it differently maybe than we ever have as we gather in settings like this. In Jesus' name, amen. This story is a little odd, and I'm going to go back a little bit and talk about Saul was the first king of the nation of Israel. The people demanded a king, and the Lord said, okay, you can have a king here, Saul. And Saul started out good, but the problem is, little by little, there were issues with Saul and his pride. And Saul became so full of himself that the Lord said, it's time for a new king. And that's when Jesse ends up, uh, sorry, Samuel ends up going to the house of Jesse and saying, hey, I feel like the Lord sent me here to anoint one of your son's king, and so could you bring him to me? And they kind of line up, and the Lord one by one's like, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. And, and Samuel's like, do you have any other sons? And literally, I can't imagine like the damage this would cause David, but like, oh yeah, I have another son, but he's out tending sheep, like the forgotten son. 
So they, they have him come and, and David shows up and the Lord specifically impresses upon Samuel, this is the next king. So Samuel anoints David and then leaves. And just for the record, that's right before this story here, but it doesn't happen like within days of that moment. A little while later is when this story happens that David's out tending sheep and he's been playing music and, and kind of basically honing his leadership skills without necessarily knowing what that would mean. And so he ends up in Saul's service. He's going to be the next king. David, uh, Saul appreciates David and his musical ability. But what I want you to notice is specifically Saul has opened a door to the enemy because of pride. And, and the Lord is, is, is allowing Saul to suffer what he's suffering because he refuses to humble himself. And, and the Lord really wants him to learn what he needs to learn, and yet he won't learn it. But the power of music in this story is that David plays this harp. Another word here is lyre, which is a small U-shaped harp that they would play. It's a lot more portable than a large harp. David would play, and it says that it would soothe Saul. And I think of this story and I think of how amazing it is because it really does lead us to understand the power of worship. And, and more specifically, listen, for you in this room, in a context like this, I've already said worship is meant to be an experience for every single one of us. And yet what happens is it becomes an issue of divisiveness. As I said a little bit ago, one of my great concerns is that we walk in and we grab a seat and we wait for the show. And then even as these individuals come up and do all the work to lead us in worship, we kind of just do this and wait and we have our own thoughts when, like I'm trying to challenge you, it's meant to be something where we're all engaged in something that's unifying and edifying and transformative. And I keep saying those words because I want them to ring in our years. Instead, music becomes divisive. In fact, as we continue on here, and in a moment, we're going to go back to this hymn, Come Thou Fount, but I want to challenge you with this. When you walked in today, what were some of your first thoughts about the musical experience as you walked in? And did some of you know on your way in, I'm not gonna like this, I'm not gonna like that, it's been a while since they did this, and you come in with all of the jaded agendas that you come in with, and yet what I want is for every one of us to repent of those ways that we hinder God from working in each of our lives, and I know that's a tough thing to say. At the same time, what I want for all of us, and the whole reason we would even do a series like this is because what I want for all of us is to walk in such a humility Humility and such an openness to the Spirit of God that instead of coming with all of our agenda about what we want and how we think it should be, instead, Lord, what do you want to do in me and in us together as we gather in worship? Because even Heather said a little bit ago, what is it that, that you maybe sense God would want to challenge you with where you feel like, you know, God is removed or there's a certain lack in your life? Do you believe that God is a provider? And are you challenged by what's going on in your life financially? And you need to say, God, I believe you're my provider and I need you to do something here. Do you, do you need something physically? You have an ailment or something going on. And, and yet the scriptures remind us God is our healer. And, and yet we feel hesitant to say, you know, God heal me because what if he doesn't? And we kind of live in fear instead of inviting God to be our healer. 
over and over in a setting like this as we worship, we ought to be allowing the Spirit of God to bring peace where there's no, no peace, to eradicate fear where we live in fear, to bring healing, to be our deliverer, to be all of these things that each of us needs, and yet we miss the opportunity when we simply come in, sit down, wait for the countdown to get done, and the show begins. So instead, what does it look like for every single one of us to come into a setting like this with a sense in us of, God, I don't know exactly what you want to do, but I'm here to worship you. I don't know exactly how you want to work, but I want to trust that you're going to work whether it's the way I think you should or not. Because if God only works the way you think he should, Houston, we've got a problem. So let's jump in for a moment here, and and I want to, again, encourage us that we need to leverage the the music portion of us gathering to get our hearts set right and to invite the Holy Spirit to move in us. And we're going to start where we left off with Come Thou Fount, and it comes from the year 1758. Anybody born that year before that? Anyone? 1758? Okay, I didn't think so. 1758 is when this hymn was written. And you would go, well, why are we talking about this hymn if if we haven't really sung it except for today? Because this is one of those sort of anchor songs that the church has been singing for hundreds of years. In fact, let me ask this. How many of you have sung Come Thou Fount before today? Just raise your hands, okay? Yeah, probably about half of the people in this room have sung that song at some point in the past, whether it was years ago, months ago, weeks ago. Um, So we're going to walk through it from 1758. I'm going to start with the backstory. It was written by a guy named Robert Robinson. Now, Robert Robinson um, wasn't raised in church, and he was an unruly kid. He was, he was a smart guy, an intellectual, but he was kind of rebellious. And his dad died when he was eight years old. His mom loved him like crazy, and his mom raised him until he was 14 when, he, when she felt like he needed to head off to an apprenticeship. So she sent him away to do an apprenticeship where instead of learning to get better at a certain trade, he took the money he made through the apprenticeship and went out drinking and gambling and carousing and causing all kinds of trouble. So from 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, that's his life. He gets to about 20 years old and he's known for being a partier and he's known for gathering with this group of kids as kind of troublemakers and and this is kind of their life. And finally, at 20 years old, him and his buddies decide they're gonna go go out and there's a preacher in town named George Whitfield and they're gonna heckle him from the back. So Robert and his buddies show up at his meeting and if you know anything about church history, George Whitfield might ring a bell. George Whitfield was an evangelist and a preacher that became pretty well known and there was something about the work of God that would cause people's hearts just to break open in repentance and people would give their lives to Christ in his meetings all the time. Well, they hear he's coming to town, they show up at the meeting and here they are in back getting ready to heckle him. Now, this doesn't necessarily matter a ton, but um, George Whitfield was cross-eyed and, and people would snicker about how he would be preaching, but they weren't sure which way he was looking. And so that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to make fun of him because he was cross-eyed, which is totally mean. So they show up at the meeting and as soon as George Whitfield takes the stage and begins to talk about the work of Jesus, Robert is sitting back in the back and he's not mocking him at all. He feels like his mom downloaded all of his information about his life right to George Whitfield to preach from the stage. And so he's back in the back feeling terrible about where he's at in life and his addictions and his partying and all this stuff. And finally, as the message ends, he is cut to the heart so much in this one meeting that he gives his life to Jesus at 20 years of age. 
20 years of age, he repents of what he's been doing. He literally feels like he has a call to be involved in ministry. And, and he begins to study for the ministry. And at 22, think about this, 22 years of age, he writes this song, Come Thou Found. 22. And I'm going to walk through the lyrics and we're going to talk about this here for a little bit. But that's the backstory of where this song comes from. Verse one, and I'm just gonna walk through this. It says, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And again, a little more Shakespearean. So as we fast forward to today, here's what he's talking about. When he says, come thou fount, he's talking about Christ. Christ is the fount of every blessing. He says, tune my heart to sing thy grace, reminding himself of the great grace of God, that he would be in tune with God's great grace, that he always has reason to sing about it. Then he takes it a step further. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. What he's saying there is because God is so abundant in his mercy, offering me what I don't deserve, I want to have this passionate praise on my lips because of God's unending mercy in my life. It says, teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. And there he's talking about the tongues of heaven. He's talking about angels singing songs and literally saying, God, if only I could sing whatever songs they're singing in heaven, I wanna be passionate as the angels are about singing for you. He says, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Pretty simple to understand, but it goes back to this idea of Jesus saying, we build our house upon the rock. And the reminder of Peter's confession, who do you say that I am? And Peter says that you are the Christ and the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that how wasn't revealed to you by man, but by the Lord. And upon this rock, I'm gonna build the church. And Peter's name means rock. He didn't mean build the church on Peter. He meant build the church on the rock of the truth of Jesus being the Christ. And it's that confession. Then you get to verse two, and that's where he says that phrase that many of us go, well, what is he saying? He says, here I raise my Ebenezer. Here uh, by thy great help I've come. And we're like, well, what, what does that mean? If it's not Scrooge, why is he saying Ebenezer? And it goes back to, if you're taking notes, 1 Samuel, again, write this down, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. It talks of Samuel, the prophet, sharing his gratitude for God's work. At that moment, he had pushed back the enemies from the nation of Israel. And it says that, that Saul called, or sorry, Samuel called for the people to bring a stone of remembrance or an Ebenezer stone. It would be similar to in Europe all over the place and a lot more in America on the East Coast and in the South, statues that are put up with plaques to remind people what certain moments were about. Around here, we don't have those quite as much as other places, but it's a stone of remembrance. My Ebenezer, I remember, God, all that you've done. Every time I pass this way and see this stone, it's a reminder of what God has done. So now let me read this again. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come. That's that stone, I'm remembering, God, what you've done for me in this moment. Remember, Robert Robinson was a rebel and, and, and a drunk and a gambler and kind of lost his way. But as God called him back, that was his remembrance. I raise my ebony. I'm remembering God, all that you've done in, in your help. Continuing on with verse two, it says, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive 
at home. If you know anything about hymns um, in, in some of the old hymn books or some of the ones that we're used to singing, oftentimes as you get to a verse like three and four, the hymns would, would hearken to a picture of eternity. Almost always when you read the old hymns, there would be some picture of eternity that's painted. And here he kind of dips his toes into eternity for a moment in verse two in the the, uh, third and fourth line. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Then he says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. It's easy to understand, but here he's telling his personal story of what God had done for him. He says, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. It's simple, but it goes back to the work God has done in Christ on the cross for Robert, but also for us. That's why I love, you can go back 250 years to this hymn, and for you and I, the story resonates just like it does for him. That for you and I, this sense of, man, we've made our messes. We've sowed our wild oats. We've gone our own way. There's not a person in the room that deserves forgiveness, that deserves grace, that deserves mercy. And yet God showers that upon every one of us, just like he's writing about here. And he's bringing us right back to, it's Jesus' blood that did all of this for us. Those are the first two verses. Now, the crazy thing in church world, if you're familiar with it at all, is back when we would open up the hymn book and you'd read or or sing the verses, a lot of times it was verse one, verse two, and verse four. And I always feel sorry for verse three. Anybody else? Like all that work the writer put into a verse three that nobody ever sings because for some reason we don't have time for verse three. But I love how in verse three in particular, Robert here is going to paint a vivid picture of this promise of eternity that's meant to get the singer or the, the, the one enjoying the song, their heart focused on, hey, in the end, just, just wait, just don't ever forget, because in the end, and it says this, oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Clothed then in the blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy wondrous grace. Robert's referring to in Revelation, where John is saying, I saw a picture of heaven. I saw a picture of all those that are believers in Christ. And he gave them a robe, it says, dipped in blood. And that can seem so weird and, and, and odd. And yet to understand from a Christ-centered perspective, it's that idea that the blood of Jesus that covers us and that we're forgiven and that we can have his grace and mercy because of that blood. So he's painting this picture that comes right out of Revelation. He says, come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Don't wait. Take my ransomed soul away. He's 22 years old and he's writing this. Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. Even at 22 years old, 250 years back, he's saying at 22, I can't wait for eternity. And it is a reminder for all of us, the danger of putting our stock in all of the the, the days we have on this earth and forgetting about the power of what God has promised us in eternity. So verse three is almost entirely dedicated to the idea of, hey, don't ever forget about eternity. Don't ever forget in the midst of all we go through, there's an eternity we can hang our hat on. Don't ever, ever forget that. And then verse four. And again, this one's pretty famous and a lot of us have read this many times. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. He's saying, I, don't, I didn't just need grace back when I repented first. I didn't just need grace back in the beginning when I realized I was a mess and a drunk and all this stuff. And then he's saying, even now, 
And so he's saying present day for him. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let me always be grateful for God's grace every day. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And I love how in verse four, it's a confession. He's already mentioned this idea of wander back a couple of verses, but here he brings it up, but he brings a more vivid picture in the next few lines. And then the promise, the, the, the prayer promise at the end, he's saying, man, God, let, let your goodness bind my heart to you because my heart wants to wander. And I don't believe there's one person in this room that at certain moments doesn't feel that sense of my heart wants to wander. I've mentioned before that idea that there's God's will in our lives and there's our will. And sometimes those don't always meet up. And the question becomes like, which one's going to win? And Robert is literally in song saying, Lord, I want my heart to be bound to you, even though it's prone to wander. And that's where we get to prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Anybody else ever been there? It's a confession. And every one of us at certain points feels that. He says, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's an ongoing recommitment. It's it's going back to even what, what Jesus had said that for you and I, it's crucifying ourselves daily. I die daily. That, that we're called to lay down our own agendas daily. He's saying, man, here's my heart. And that's a daily practice for us. Who's gonna be on the throne when you wake up every morning? Who's gonna be on the throne of your life when you go to work? Who's gonna be on the throne when you gather with family, when you just go through the everyday stuff you do? Who's gonna be on the throne? Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above, and that's repeated. If we're all honest, we can relate. If we're all honest, our story isn't isn't a simple, easy, clean one. If we're all honest, there's portions of our story that we don't always feel incredible about. But as we relate to words like this, it's a recommitment that God's grace is enough. And 250 years, this is one of the most sung hymns within the church worldwide for 250 years. Penned by a 22-year-old who lived in rebellion and realized in, in the middle of wanting to mock a preacher, the guy's reading my mail and maybe I should repent because God's got something different. It's a great reminder for all of us. Hey, we're prone to wander. Hey, we, we, we've made our messes. Hey, God's grace is enough. And some of you today, and I, I, that was one of the first things that I was thinking about when Heather had said, some of you where there's a gap in where God is and where you are, and the first thought I had was there are people that you walk in here today and you don't feel good enough. You, you feel condemned by your own thoughts or attitudes or, or habits or whatever. And it's a hymn like this that should bring you right back to God's grace is enough. You don't have to work to earn his favor and blessing in your life. All he asks is for you just to surrender. That's it, to surrender. And for some of us in this room, my hope would be that becomes the commitment. God, I surrender to you. And for some of us, it's another prayer. I surrender again to you. What I want to do is as the worship team comes up here, we're going to sing this at the end 
But I just want to pray. And today is the first of, of this series. And so throughout the series, like I said, we're going to talk some more about the theology of music in worship. And we're going to talk about some of the stories in scripture and some of the songs that we sing. Um, and I'm excited about that. But what I want to start with today, and here's what I'm asking. Can we just start with, and it's a weird way to, I guess, but start with repentance. Many of us in this room maybe just showed up, I don't know, your first thoughts were about whatever song or, or whatever volume or whatever song we didn't sing or whatever. We didn't come in a place of I'm going to worship. And some literally as we, we sing and there's music that happens, you just go, okay, I just have to endure the next like 15 minutes and then we're good. But what does it look like? What would it look like for every single one of us each Sunday to walk in and instead of all the agendas and things and thoughts and rent and some of its attitudes and some of its being too critical and judgmental and a little prideful, whatever, instead setting all of that aside and going, God, as, as we experience music in worship together on any given Sunday, you walk in as we do that. Lord, would you continue to transform me? Would you continue to open my heart? Would you continue to, and we're all guilty of, this isn't a me, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God at you. This is realizing we all have a propensity to get a little more judgmental and a little less open to what God wants to do. But I want to start today just by simply going, God, maybe I'm not looking at it right as I walk in. Father, today, just as we jump into this series there's something about God, even as I believe a, a timer sort of counts down and we get ready to begin a service, that it's so easy to walk in. And sometimes we just walk in kind of in a whirlwind. Hey, I got here and that's great. But sometimes we walk in and, and, and immediately our mind goes to, you know what? I don't like that volume or I don't care for that, that part, that song. I don't, I don't like this or that's this. And I don't expect, they're not doing this. And God, I pray for all of us that at any point have walked in with any sense of attitude that there would be a humility in us, that there would be a, a lowering of the walls that hinder you from working. And it's not a condemnation thing. We all can lean that way. We all can do that at times. But instead, what would it look like as we continue through this series, but as we walk in here each Sunday, what would it look like to just open ourselves to you? God, here I am. And I could use some transformation. Here I am, and, and, and Lord, I, I feel angry. I feel busy. I feel bitter. I feel frustrated. God, I need you to provide. God, I could use some people. I'm here. And instead of all this other stuff, what would it look like to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us in worship and in some ways set the table for a message that ought to continue to transform our hearts? I pray as we navigate behind the music, you would navigate behind our own veils and work in each of our hearts throughout this series. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.